All right. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, but I'm going to ask you something else. Wait until we get to that point in the sermon to write the answer down. Or, if you write the answer down, make sure that you check and make sure that you had the right answer. All right? Okay. The first question is, does every situation in life have a happy ending just because you're following God? Why or why not? And that's the, that's the part where it goes beyond yes or no. Why or why not does everything in life have a happy ending because you're a Christian? Secondly, why does God give us hard times in our lives? There could be a couple of right answers to this. From the passage we'll look at, why does God give us hard times in our lives? And this morning we talked about the fact that Christians grieve differently. We grieve differently because we know the truth because we remember the hope of the resurrection, because we're looking to the return of Christ, the rapture where he'll gather his church to himself. But when someone is going through a time of grief, sometimes you walk up to that person and you say to yourself, I have no idea what I'm going to say. I don't know how to encourage this person. I don't know how to comfort them. And so the passage that we'll look at tonight, I think, gives us some ideas about how we can comfort people in their times of difficulty, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The first thing, or the place where this passage starts, is that we need to see God as the source of true comfort. I won't go a great deal into the background of the church at Corinth, but I will simply say this. The church at Corinth was a church that had a great deal of difficulty, but was composed of genuine believers. Paul, in many occasions, addressed them as saints, the church of God at Corinth. He recognized them as believers, despite the difficulties, despite the challenges that they faced. And so, Paul is writing to them as Christians, as Christians who had observed his sufferings and persecution connected with ministry, and some of whom had faced similar persecutions themselves. And he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. We need to see God as the source of true comfort because there are many competing sources of comfort for us. So where do you turn? Where do people turn on the bad days? Maybe you turn to friends. Someone that you know always encourages you to talk to them, so you're going to talk to that person. Maybe it's work. You say, I know I can't get away from this problem, so I'm going to throw myself into work, and and that'll keep me busy, and then I won't have to think about it. Maybe it's comfort food. I mean, we have that label for things that we like to eat for a reason. It makes us feel better. Or it could be a whole host of other substances that we enjoy, a favorite dessert, a thing that we like to drink, whatever it might be. On a hot day, a cold glass of water or lemonade, right? That comforts us. Maybe it's reading a book. You say, you know what, I can't get away from this situation, so I'm going to escape into something that someone else has made up. Maybe you don't like reading, but you say, you know what, I will watch a movie, and that will help me to escape the situation that I'm facing. Maybe it's something where you say, I'm going to play a video game, I'm going to go work outside. Whatever thing it might be that you find comfort in, that you enjoy doing, Those things are not all inherently bad, but they're not a source of true and lasting comfort. We see from this verse 
that God ministers comfort to his people according to his character. Look at how he is described here. First of all, who are we talking about? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are talking about God the Father. But it describes him in two ways. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Merciful means that he withholds judgment. Because we sin, we deserve God's wrath, God's punishment. And the fact that he does not pour it out the instant that we deserve it shows that he is a merciful and a faithful God. But he is also a God of all comfort. He is comforting. He gives kindness. He gives encouragement. He gives help and strength in times of difficulty. And that leads into not only is this according to his character, but it is also as his regular action. What does it say he does? He comforts us, verse 4, in all our affliction. And so, not just does he comfort us, but he comforts us in every difficulty that we face. Why is it so bad to seek comfort somewhere other than God? Let me give you an illustration. Over the last week, I've been doing a lot of work outside in the yard, pulling weeds, moving plants around, that sort of thing. Obviously, it's been 90 plus degrees some of those days, so if you want stuff not to die, you have to water it. The problem is, I decided, because this was clearly good planning on my part, that I wanted to put something in the way far back corner of the yard. The hose isn't long enough to reach back there. Then I discovered I didn't have a bucket. So now what am I going to do? I found a big pot that only had a few drainage holes in it. I filled it full, and I took it as quick as I could to the back corner and dumped what was left in the bucket on the plants. Was that a little bit foolish? Yes. Why? Because I was doing something that I knew was not going to work well, but I insisted on doing it anyway. It's interesting that Jeremiah in the Old Testament uses the same illustration to rebuke the Israelites for their idolatry. He says, God is like a spring of water coming out of the ground, like a fountain, like a waterfall, a clear, clean source of water. But instead of going after him, Israelites, you've decided that you're going to dig yourself a hole that won't hold any water. It's like the pot that I was using to try to carry water across the yard and it's falling out of the holes. It doesn't work. And so here's something that is better and you're stubbornly rejecting it and turning away from it. And so on the one hand, to do that is foolish. And on the other hand, it mocks God because it says, you know what, God, you've given me this thing that's so much better, but I think I know better than you, so I don't want that. I'm going to come over here and do my own thing. It's like you're standing by Niagara Falls and you say, you know what, there's tons of water there, but I'm going to go find a little broken piece of plastic on the ground that's all muddy and dirty and scoop up a little bit of water and drink out of that instead. We see how foolish that is, how, how we're denying the majesty and the perfection of this thing to chase after something that's so much less. We need to recognize that God is the source of true comfort and that we go to Him for it. But God doesn't just give us comforts for ourselves. God ministers comfort so that we will pass it on to other people. Look at verse 4. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction 
with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So what does this mean? We're not the only ones that will face trials. People around us are going to face trials as well. It says, those who are in any affliction. And so we will face affliction, and they will face affliction. And what do they need to hear in their time of affliction? They don't need to hear quotations from well-known public figures. They don't need to hear false reassurances. They need to hear the comfort with which God has comforted you, the truth of Scripture that God has used to encourage you when you have gone through a trial. There's a few other things that we should notice from this. It says that we will be able. Why is that important? It's important that we will be able because a lot of times we think someone is going through a really difficult time, so they need professional help. God did not put you in the church so that your first thought would be, let's go outside the church for help when we need help. Now, to be clear, there are situations in which people pose a threat to themselves and others and outside authorities have to be involved. I'm not denying that. But many times when someone is discouraged or sorrowful or anxious or working through any sort of difficulty, any sort of affliction, our first response is to say, let's send them somewhere else. And our answer, first and foremost, should be, what resources has God given us in His Word and in each other for the encouragement and the help and the comfort that we need? We live in a society where we think that the Word of God is not enough and that the fellowship of other believers is not enough, and so we have to add all of these other things onto it. And Paul says, God comforts you so that you will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. But he gives you a specific thing to use. He says, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Again, it doesn't help someone else if they say, I'm going through this difficult. You say, you know what? This is my favorite kind of ice cream. You should go try it. And there's nothing wrong with ice cream. I hope we enjoy it after the service. But if you say, if that's the comfort that you give someone, you say, this is really, I really like this, you should try it too. That's not what Paul is talking about, is it? Paul is saying, when you are going through a trial and God brings to mind a verse or a message or something else that is connected with the Scripture that has encouraged you, then you go encourage someone else with it. You say, well, what if my trial is different from their trial? I think Paul would answer in another place and say, there is no temptation or difficulty that comes upon you, but such as is common to man. And I realize he's talking about temptation there, but trials and temptations are not always a hard and fast line between the two of them. And the point that I'm making with that is, you can use what God has used to encourage you even if the situation is different. It doesn't have to be, I broke my wrist and so now that you've broken your wrist, this is exactly how God encouraged me in that time that I was going through. Because, you know what? The same verses that encouraged you when you broke your wrist and couldn't do a lot of the normal daily functions of life will encourage someone else who breaks their leg or has pneumonia or has some other difficulty going on. 
And so, again, it's not about you being an exact match for the exact same situation. It's about using the biblical principles that God has used to encourage you in your life to encourage other people as well. And so, when you see someone in a difficult situation, is your first response to say, I can encourage that person because God has enabled me, because God has encouraged me, because God has called me to encourage them? Or do you say, you know what, I don't know what to say, and we sort of back away. God calls us to use the comfort of the Scriptures to comfort other people. Not only do we need to see God as the source of true comfort, but we need to realize that we are not alone in the comfort that God provides. We see this in verses 5 through 7. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. God gives us comfort proportionally to our suffering. Think about what God said to Paul when Paul was facing his trial of the thorn in the flesh. People argue about what that was, whether it was a physical difficulty, whether it was a demonic attack, whatever it was that Paul faced, he faced a difficulty and he realized that he needed God's help and God said, through Christ, my strength is sufficient for you. And so God can and will give you strength proportionally to the trial that you're facing. Again, not in and of yourself, but through Him, He will enable you to endure the trial. And one of the ways that He does this is that He gives us shared comfort among God's people. Look at verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And we look at that and we say, if Paul goes through a trial, how was it for the comfort and the salvation of the Corinthian people? One answer is that the reason Paul was suffering affliction is because he was taking the gospel to them, and so he was encouraging them and giving them the gospel that God might save them, and so in that sense, his affliction was directly connected with comfort and salvation for them. So I think we should recognize that our trials can give comfort to others or even bring them to salvation. And so I think it's important as we face those trials that we ask ourselves, am I living in such a way that people will look at my life and see that God is enabling me to go through this difficulty and that will point them to Jesus? Because if we have the same response to a trial, to a difficulty, as everyone else in the world does, man, my car broke down, and my life is a mess, and everything is terrible, and we just complain, and all of those sorts of things, they're not going to see the difference that God is working in our hearts and lives. That's not to say that we won't be tempted to do that at various points in a trial. Trials can be hard. Trials can be long. Trials can seem like there's no end in sight. But if we recognize that they have purpose that it can be, as Paul's was for the Corinthian church, for the comfort and salvation of someone else, it helps give us strength in the midst of it. Our comfort is used to help others. Perhaps it's not for their salvation. They're already trusting in God. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Why? Because God comforted Paul. Paul was able to use that comfort to comfort other people. 
And then he says, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And then verse 7, on our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Our shared trials, our shared comfort, testify to genuine faith. In what way? Paul was confident that the Corinthians were true believers because they were facing trials and difficulties for following Christ and because they were receiving comfort from God and he was aware of the comfort they were receiving from God and they were aware of the comfort he was receiving from God. And so in that way, the fact that they were suffering, the fact that they were receiving comfort from God, Paul was confident that they had genuine faith. And so when we face trials, do we do it on our own? Because that's not how God designed the church to work. He didn't design the church for us to be in our own little boxes, and I'm over here, and you're over here, and someone else is over there, and we're all suffering silently and alone, and we're not helping each other. God calls us to be aware of each other and in each other's lives and encouraging one another with the truth that God has used to encourage us. And so that requires a measure of effort on our part because we don't often want to approach people when they're in difficulty. I don't know if this is entirely true. It's something that I've read. But supposedly, certain types of animals, when one of them is sick, the other animals will attack them. I've not observed this firsthand, but I've read about it like with chickens. If there's a sick chicken, the ones that are healthy will attack it. We don't want it anywhere near us. Same thing with cats and maybe to a lesser extent dogs. They're trying to protect themselves and keep the one that's hurting and in danger away from them because they're like, we don't want to get that ourselves too. That's not the response that we should have toward each other in the church. But it's easy for us to be selfish and to have that response because we think maybe somehow the thing that they're going through is going to rub off on us and, and, and we're going to have a trial too. And we don't want a trial, so we're not going to get close. Paul says, this is something we're all in together. So God is the source of comfort. God wants us to realize we're not alone in the comfort that he gives to us. And God also wants us to praise Him for the comfort that He provides. What is your God like? Is He a mean God? Is He a harsh God? Is He a vindictive God? Now, to be clear, I'm not saying what it says in the Bible about God being just and holy. I'm not saying we throw all that out. But sometimes we have in our minds a picture of the God of the Bible like the idea that the prophets of Baal had about their God. Our God will only pay attention to us if we inflict suffering on ourselves. So what do the prophets of Baal do on Mount Carmel? They started cutting themselves with knives and doing frenzied dances and all these other sorts of things to try to get their God's attention. Our God's not like that. Our God is holy. Our God is righteous. Our God does not tolerate sin. But He is not harsh and vindictive and pointless and cruel. We say, well, I don't think that. But even as Christians, this kind of thinking creeps into our thoughts. We think, well, I don't want to be a missionary because if I am a missionary, life's going to just be horrible. 
I'm going to have to eat bugs and weird food and all that sort of thing. So I don't want to be a missionary. Or I don't want to serve God in this way or in that way because it's just going to be really hard and I don't want to do it. Why do we think that way? Because in the back of our minds, we have this concept of God that God's sort of out to get us. Or maybe we think, if I pray for more patience, my kids are going to be really bad this week. Why do we think that? Because we've adopted our society's idea about karma and things coming around more than we've adopted a right view of who God is. Why does God bring trials into our lives? Sometimes to arrest our attention, but more often than not, God brings trials into our lives not to punish us, but to strengthen our faith, to show His power, and to bring praise to Himself. First of all, He gives trials to grow faith. We see this word affliction a lot of times in this passage. Look at verse 4. He comforts us in our affliction. So we can comfort those who are in any affliction just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Verse 6, but we are afflicted. End of verse 6, enduring the same sufferings. Verse 7, sharers of our sufferings. Verse 8, our affliction. Why does God give us all these trials? Why do all these things come into our lives? To grow our faith. Look at uh, verse 9, so that we would not trust in ourselves. So God gives us trials to show that we can't trust in ourselves. He uses them to grow our faith. And so this brings up at least a couple of points. If trials are for our good, what's our response to them? If something's good for me, I should rejoice in it. I don't know about for you, but when I was growing up, my mom would often say things like, vegetables are good for you, and I would not rejoice in them. I would figure out ways to hide them in my napkin and go put them in the trash when no one was looking. Or I thought no one was looking. Apparently no one was looking because they never caught me doing it or did anything about it. Do we view trials like vegetables? And by the way, they are good for you kids, but we won't go too far into that. Do we view them that way? They're a necessary evil, but I want to get them away and throw them out of my life as quick as possible. Because if they're for our good, we need to have the attitude that James says, which is to rejoice in all the trials that God brings into our lives. If trials are for our good, do we see them as loving discipline from a kind Heavenly Father? The reason I say it that way is Hebrews 12 says this, Not all discipline for the time seems pleasant, but sorrowful, but it produces a pleasing result. Think about training for a marathon. I've never done it. My brother and I think my sister have both done it. It's a lot of hard work. It's not fun when you're doing it. But if your goal is to be able to run 26 and a little more miles successfully, you have to do it. You have to put in the work, and it achieves the proper result. And in the same way, God uses situations in our lives not to punish us, but to strengthen us, to grow us, to increase our faith. So do we see them as loving discipline instead of harsh correction? 
God also delivers us from trials to show his power. Look at verse 8, the second half. He says, We were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. What's the point of the first part of that? Our strength fails. We don't know which trial Paul is referring to about the one which came to us in Asia. I think he is purposefully vague because he doesn't want us to fixate on the specific trial. He wants us to focus instead on the point that he is making, which is the effect that that trial had on his life, which is what? We were burned excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Our strength runs out. You work in the yard, you work on some project, you go on a trip, you, whatever it is, at some point, it's sort of like you hit a wall and you're like, I need to rest, I need a break, I can't do it anymore. What does this passage say? God put Paul in that kind of a situation. For what purpose? So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. God delivered Paul on a number of occasions. And it's interesting, and I would encourage you to go read this passage later. Acts 14, there are a number of people who believe that Paul actually died and God brought him back. Why is that significant? Because... If you're in such a dire situation that people beat you and leave you for dead outside the city gates, who are you going to trust in? The only person that you can trust in in that kind of a situation is God. Paul believed that God could deliver him and that he would do it again. He says in verse 10, who delivered us and will deliver us. So not only has he done it in the past, but he has the power and the inclination to keep doing it. Along this line, I would ask you this question. Do you remember God's past kindness and it strengthens your faith for what happens in the future? Because it's easy for us to sort of forget about all the things that God has done for us. And then we come to another trial and we say, I don't know if God is going to help me in this one because we forget how he helped us the last time around. And as we saw this morning, the hope that Paul had is in God who raises the dead. Going back to the earlier illustration. Do you want your hope to be in the God who created something powerful and majestic like Niagara Falls? Or to be in yourself, which is like picking up garbage off the side of the road? Which are you going to trust in? Because if you follow your own way, if you seek after yourself, you're rejecting power and majesty and glory for grubbing around in the dirt and in the garbage. That is the difference between following God and following yourself. That is the difference between trusting in yourself for the strength and the ability to get through life or trusting in God who raises people from the dead. 
So which one are you trusting in? We see also that God receives glory as we praise Him, both for the trial and for the comfort. Look at verse 11. He will yet deliver us, you also joining and helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. We recognize God as our comforter when we give, when we pray to Him on behalf of others. Paul was facing an intense difficulty, and he said that the Corinthians were joining and helping him through their prayers. And we look at this and we say, well, what connection does people praying in Corinth have to do with the difficulties Paul's facing in some other part of the world? And the answer is that the same God is God in both places. And so God can hear the prayers of the Corinthians and use it to help Paul wherever he was at the particular time that he's writing to the church at Corinth. So this would lead me to ask you a couple of questions. Do you pray for those who are serving God on behalf of our church in other places around the world? Because it's easy to think, we send them money, we see them when they visit periodically, sometimes we go and visit them, and that's about all that we can do. But our prayers on their behalf can be used by God even as the Corinthians' prayers were used by God to help Paul. Or to bring it a little closer to home, do we pray for one another? Because sometimes we face situations and the only way that we're going to find help in those situations is if God intervenes. And so the question is, do we pray for God to do that for one another in each other's lives, to do that work? The God who has the power to raise people from the dead is a God who can hear our prayers and help someone else. And certainly we should pray to God on our own behalf, but also on the help, the behalf of other people in our church body. We also recognize God as our comforter when we give thanks when He answers our prayers. It says, So that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So back up to what Paul is saying. We were in this terrible affliction. You prayed for us. God delivered us. What happens when all those things happen? Many people praise God. Because if it was just Paul and the people who were with him, they were praying, God help us, and God answered their prayer then Paul and the people who are with him would praise God. But now it's not just Paul and those who are traveling with him. It's Paul. It's the Corinthian church. It's other churches throughout Asia that are praying for Paul. And now all of them are giving thanks to God because God has answered all of their prayers that they collectively prayed on behalf of Paul. And so do you see how God receives more praise as more of us are praying about more things and God answers those prayers that's what he's encouraging us to do in this verse. So do you thank God when he answers your prayers? It's really easy for us to ask God for things. Um, at some point, we're all like a little kid. You give him lunch, what does he want next? He wants a snack. Sometimes like 10 minutes after lunch. 
And to be fair, I was the exact same way as a kid. But do we ever stop and say thank you for the thing that we just got? Our hearts are so fickle. We're really, it's really easy for us to get something and to say, oh, that was really good. Let's get the next thing. And I think Paul would encourage us to say, pause. Thank God for the last thing that he answered for you in prayer before you move on to the next thing that you're asking him to do. And so one practical way to do this, and this is something that I need to grow in personally, is do you ever write down things that you're praying for and the way that God answers those prayers? Because otherwise, life gets busy and it's really easy for us to forget a lot of things. And so as I say this to you, I'm, I'm encouraging myself as well, do we pray for people first of all? But as we pray for people, do we make note of how God answers our prayers for those people to what end? Not so that we can boast, look at me, look how much I prayed, look how much God gave me an answer to my prayer, but like it says in verse 11, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So when you walk up to someone who's in a difficult situation, who's a fellow church member, what do you say to that person? You can say, you know what? I haven't been in that exact same situation that you're going through right now. But I have been through difficulties. And here's what God used to encourage me. Here's a verse or a series of verses or perhaps a, a psalm or a hymn based on verses that God used to really encourage me when I was in a time of difficulty and I want to share that with you so God can encourage you as well. You can say, I'm praying for you about this situation. And then actually do it, because it's easy to say, I'm praying for you, and then we don't do it. And then follow up on that and say, and keep, you know, keep talking to that person. How's that going? What's happening with that? And, and if and when God chooses to answer that prayer in the way that we've been praying for it, then what happens? That person can rejoice in the answer to prayer, you can rejoice in the answer to prayer. The church body, depending on how long it's been going on and the nature of who's aware of it, can rejoice in that answer to prayer. And who is praised and who is honored as a result of all these things? God is. And so you and I need to find hope in the shared comfort that other believers have received from God and should be giving to you and that you receive from God and should be giving to other people. And it, maybe you're not in a trial right now and you say, you know what, I don't, I don't want to go around people who are in trials because I don't want to catch something. That's not how it works. God wants you to minister to people who are hurting because He has given you comfort. He has equipped you to be able to comfort them. And in turn, in His time and in His purpose, they may in turn comfort you. But regardless of which direction it's going, praise and honor can result to God. So what's your view of God? Is He a God of comfort or a God who's out to get you? Is He a God who hears and answers prayers that we thank when He does that? 
or a God that we sort of feel like we're sending up smoke signals and we don't know if anything ever happens. What sort of God do we believe in and what sort of God do we live out that belief according to His character? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you seek God's comfort and then pass it on? Do you realize you're not alone? Do you praise God for the comfort that He gives you and that you give to other people? Nothing profound, but I think it's something that Paul wanted us to understand, and I think it's something that we can practically apply as we interact with one another. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this truth that you bring trials into our lives so that we can undergo them and find your help and then pass on that help to other people. We recognize that we can't do this in our own strength. We recognize that we can't do this if we've not begun to trust in you. We see that this help and this hope is only available for those who are following you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would begin by knowing that we are trusting in you. But if we have begun to trust in you, I pray that you would help us to be diligent about ministering to one another in these ways. Lord, it's easy for us to assume someone else will do it. It's easy for us to think we're not equipped to do it. But as this passage has shown us, it's not a question of ability. It's not a question of knowledge. It's a question of whether we're willing to do what you want us to do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to do this well. I pray that you would help me to lead us in doing this well. I pray that the result of us obeying this passage would be that we would grow in more praise to you, more answers to prayer, and more encouragement going around, and that we would grow closer to one another as we grow closer to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.